Grace and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Temptation. It's something that we face all the time. Every day we face temptations to do various sorts of evil things. To lie. To cheat. To covet what our neighbors have. To be greedy. To be jealous. To lust. To doubt God. To use people. To dishonor our parents and just be plain old selfish. The best example that we have of temptation and its defeat is in today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 4. Now let's back up a little bit. After being baptized as the Son of God into our sins and death in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into a nearby wilderness. And there, as we hear in today's text, Jesus fasts for 40 days. Near the end of this time, Satan comes around to tempt Jesus three times, which is a good old kind of perfect number. First, Satan tempts Jesus to doubt, to doubt his status as God's beloved son and to try to prove it by feeding himself himself from rocks. In a sense, Satan says this, why should the son of God, if you truly are God's son, be like a starving, helpless human when you can use your divinity to miraculously turn stones into bread. If you don't, it's because you can't. Because you're not God's son. You're just a helpless human with no special status or calling to save others. You can't even feed yourself. Moreover, Satan's first temptation seeks to place Jesus' basic trust in physical objects rather than in the Father, his Father, the creator and giver of life, as Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which says this, man does not live by bread alone, but by, lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus, in quoting this, teaches that we are ultimately to trust in God to provide for our life and to supply for our needs. It's God's life-giving, powerful word, and that really alone, that gives us life and sustains it, just like in creation. After defeating this temptation, Satan tempts Jesus a second time. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and tells him that he can gloriously rule over all of these kingdoms if he worships him, if Jesus worships Satan. Now, this might not seem like a big temptation. Who in their right mind would worship Satan? But we must remember that Satan is offering Jesus earthly, kingly glory and authority to be ruler over everything on earth. And there are people who serve Satan for a far lot less. Essentially, Satan entices Jesus to abandon his mission as our Savior, who was born to die on the cross for our sins. Satan tempts Jesus with what is rightfully due to him as God to gloriously rule over the world. The problem with this temptation is this, is that if Jesus rules gloriously at that moment, then he would only rule over a corrupted and damned temporal kingdom. In order for Jesus to become the glorious ruler ruler over a redeemed world, Jesus needs to continue on and follow the way of the cross until his death atones for the sins of the world. 
then in resurrection and ascension, he can rightly and gloriously rule over a saved eternal kingdom. Big difference. It's for this reason that Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.3. I think he has a little bit of Moses on his mind in this temptation, which says that we are only to serve and worship God. Thus, Jesus rejects the idea of worshiping Satan for self-interested temporal glory and instead holds fast to his sacrificial vocation as the suffering servant of the cross who will, through his dying and rising, bring eternal glory to the whole of creation. Finally, Satan tries to use scripture to corner Jesus. Satan intentionally misquotes and misapplies Psalm 91 by taking it out of its context of an eternal attack by enemies and setting it into a new situation of self-affliction. In doing this, Satan tempts Jesus to follow twisted scripture. Essentially, this is kind of what the quote is. God will command his angels concerning you, no matter what you do to yourself, to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash even your foot against a stone. Based on this, Satan tries to entice Jesus to throw himself from the temple, to throw himself down to prove that he is really God's son. If you are God's son, then surely God will send his angels to protect you from injury and death. Seems to be the logic here. The deeper temptation in this, though, is that uh, Jesus is being enticed to doubt God's word, to doubt God's love, his care, and his protection. The more sinister enticement is is to test God's life-sustaining nature and loyal character by demanding that God prove his love and promises by saving Jesus from a self-inflicted death. I'm just going to throw myself over. It seems like Satan's implying this. If you don't trust God to do this, then why would you willingly sacrifice yourself on the cross? That will be your death, and that's all. God won't bring you back to life. Your death will be in complete vain. Your vocation and supposed salvation are doomed. So just give up and seek your own life and glory now from me. It's for this reason that Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. This passage is appropriate for two reasons. First, it flat out says we're not to test God, but there's a context to it that's important. It refers to the time when Israel was grumbling and doubting against God's love and ability to provide food for them in the wilderness, even though God had just miraculously delivered them from fatal enslavement in Egypt. Together, these two things let us know what's wrong with testing God. It's doubting God's love and care and demanding that God prove these to you even after God has already shown his amazing and powerful love to you many times. Thankfully, Jesus defeats this temptation too, and Satan gives up and leaves. Now, this account prompts several questions, at least this one in my mind. Why did God test Jesus by allowing Satan to tempt him? There are, to be sure, various possible answers. We might think of Job. That this was to show Satan that God's servant Jesus is truly righteous and that God knows it. It might be to display that Christ crushes Satan's temptations and defeats his plan of destruction. A little bit of an echo of Genesis 3.15. It might be to demonstrate that Jesus truly is God's righteous, suffering servant, the one who is the perfect sacrifice for all sin. 
a little bit of an echo of Isaiah 53. While there are various reasons why God tested Jesus, the last point probably has the most meaning for Israel and us. In many ways, Jesus' temptation mirrored what Israel went through after being delivered by God from Egypt. After God delivers Israel through the Red Sea, God tests Israel with lack of food and water in the wilderness for 40 years. Similarly, after Jesus is baptized for our deliverance in the Jordan River, God tests Jesus with a lack of food and with Satan's temptations in the wilderness for 40 days. And it's the major difference between these two stories that's the most important. Israel failed the test by testing and doubting God, while Jesus passed the test by trusting in and obeying God. And this is important because it shows Israel and the world that Jesus is our one true perfect representative before God. Jesus is the righteous servant. Jesus is the pure sacrifice who can take on and take away the sins of the world, our sins. Where Israel and all of us fail by falling in temptation repeatedly, Jesus always fulfilled the law for us so that his righteous life might, by God's gracious imputation, become ours, making us righteous unto life in God's eyes, and so that he could be our unblemished sacrifice who vicariously atones for our sins and delivers us from sin's just punishment, which is death. Knowing that Jesus resisted and defeated Satan, let us take comfort in his righteous life on our behalf and his perfect sacrifice for our sins. Moreover, let us understand that as followers of Jesus, we too will be assailed by Satan to commit two great sins, to doubt and turn away from God's life-giving word, which is none other than the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and instead to seek life and material objects that cannot truly give us life. Moreover, we will be tempted to doubt our status as God's beloved children. We'll be tempted to abandon our vocation as followers of Christ who are supposed to, in response to the love we have received, sacrifice ourselves for the welfare and the salvation of others, and instead serve our own glory by ruling over our own little fallen kingdoms. But let us also remember that we, like Jesus, have received the Holy Spirit, who gives us the spiritual strength too to resist temptation. And finally, like Jesus, we have God's word to guide us in the way of faith and in the way of love. And when we fall into sin, to guide us to show us the way of repentance that God forgives, and then we have new life in the cross of Christ. Amen.